Hello and welcome to another episode of Five Questions in Ten Minutes. I'm Paul Guttaker, Director of Brazos Fellows, and I'm happy to have with me uh, this morning my friend, Father Jonathan Canary. Welcome, Father Jonathan. Thank you. Uh, Father Jonathan um, is a mainstay here at Christ Church. He uh, has his BA from Patrick Henry College, his MDiv from Mishota House Theological Seminary, and he's a PhD candidate in English with a focus on religion and literature here at Baylor. Uh, he's also Associate Priest for Spiritual Direction here at Christ Church Waco. And um, if you spend really kind of any amount of time with Father Jonathan, you quickly realize um, that among the things he loves uh, is is liturgy, and um, this is why uh, he was part of the Liturgy and Common Worship Task Force, or I guess still are part of that task force. Yeah, um, work is ongoing. Yes, responsible, um, among other things, for the prayer book revision that came out in 2019. So, um, it's hard to sort of understate how much you've influenced Brazos Fellows through your being a priest, through your work on that task force. Uh, but Father Jonathan also teaches for us. He's teaching our class this morning on the desert fathers and mothers. Exciting. Uh, it's very exciting. Um, and also tutors uh, as, well, as well for Brazos Fellows. So uh, welcome. Glad to have you in class again this morning and glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks. I'm excited about this class. This is one of my favorite things. Yeah. I, I almost thought about just having five questions about the Desert Fathers because you could you could just do that. But oh, man. instead, here's what we've got. Five questions, ten minutes. Let's jump in. Um, I wanted to start with a question about two pastoral ministries that you care about, that you're involved in here at Christchurch, but that might be less familiar to some, especially some evangelicals or, or other um, low church Protestants. And I'm talking about confession and spiritual direction. Um, these were sort of new for me when I came to Anglicanism. And so I guess I, the, the question is to, to people who haven't experienced these or may even be a little bit suspicious of these practices of confession and spiritual direction, how would you sort of introduce them? What's, what's the quick pitch for these? Sure. And I appreciate how you effectively smuggled two questions into one well, and asking you know, about two things. Well, I'm guilty as charged. Uh, I want to start with spiritual direction, actually. I think sometimes we talk as though the Christian life is kind of an event or it's a static thing that you become a Christian, you convert, you are baptized, there's some sort of moment, this transformation that occurs, you're in and not out now. Mm. Uh, but obviously you keep on living as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't seem to grow radically, but we all have a sense that there is something that's supposed to keep happening after that. that there's this ongoing life in Christ. You're born anew, born from above, but then what life happens after? How do you grow up to maturity? Mm. And I think every every serious Christian tradition has language to talk about this. We talk about yeah. discipleship. Uh, we talk about spiritual growth, spiritual disciplines. Mm -hmm. We talk about mentoring, these kinds of things. All of us 
have this sense, I should be going deeper in this life of Christ. Every serious Christian feels this, I think. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, we're convinced that God is continuing to work in us. The Holy Spirit is at work. This is thus the name spiritual direction, mm-hmm. right? The, the spiritual there is not a, a sort of vague spiritual things, but the Holy Spirit yeah. is directing, is guiding in the life of the Christian. Yeah. And so I, I like to say that spiritual direction is for anyone who is not satisfied not completely satisfied with where their spiritual life is right now. Yeah. Which should be everyone who follows Jesus. <laughs> if you are satisfied with where you are right now, you should repent of that. Uh, <laughs> be less satisfied because God has more. Yeah. There's always more of God mm. that God wants to reveal to us. Mm-hmm. Right? There's always a greater fullness of the life of grace that we're being called into. Yeah. And so spiritual direction is having someone come alongside you who can help listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit who is at work in your life Mm -hmm. based in that conviction that God is doing things. How do we enter into that more fully? How do we discern God's voice in the midst of all these other voices rattling around inside our own head and in the world around us? How do we get on board with what the Spirit's doing? Mm. Um, Confession, I would say similarly, is part of this ongoing life in Christ because it turns out that sometimes Christians sin. Um, Sorry. Sorry. Are you sure you want to make that claim on this podcast? Um, Though, though I have a Wesleyan upbringing (laughs) and this desire for full sanctification is something that I can appreciate. Most of us aren't there. Yeah. Um, I think I can, I think that's a safe claim. And, and again, Every Christian tradition has language for talking about this, yeah. that we need to practice ongoing repentance. We need to recognize our sin and turn to God. We need continual turning to Christ. Mm. And, and I think many traditions, including evangelical and Protestant traditions, have in at least certain corners ideas about confessing in connection with fellow believers, like people who can kind of walk you through that or who can hold you accountability partners or or groups, these kinds of things. Right. So it's, it's not as foreign as people sometimes think, but biblically there are two passages I would go to. One is James chapter five, where James is saying, if you get sick, call the elders and ask them to anoint you with oil and pray over you. We also do that by Mm -hmm. the way. And, He says, if the one who is sick will be raised up, and if they've committed any sin, it will be forgiven them. Therefore, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Mm. So one of the things I love about the new prayer book is that the confession liturgy for private confession with a priest is grouped together as one of the healing liturgies, Mm. right? This Mm -hmm. is... Because spiritual healing and physical healing are both part mm. of God's work in the life of the church, in the life of the believer. Mm-hmm. And and that's straight out of James. Yeah. Right? It, it's in the New Testament that those things belong together. Mm-hmm. And specifically the elders who are called to pray over you and anoint you, not that other people can't pray for you as well. Yeah. That's good. You should ask all your friends to pray for you. But maybe there's a particular work of those who have authority in the church in helping guide that work of confession as well. Mm-hmm. 
And this is what I think we see in the other passage in John chapter 20, where Jesus, who has just risen from the dead like this morning, appears to his disciples to their complete astonishment, says, peace be with you. And then he, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins, you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins, you retain, they are retained. And this turns up a couple of other places in the gospel as well. But there's some kind of authority Christ gives in his church, the risen Jesus gives to his apostles mm. to authoritatively pronounce his forgiveness mm -hmm. and be part of that ongoing work. And so that, I think, is what we're inviting people to. Not that you can't kneel next to your chair in your room and pray for forgiveness and name your sins and God will receive that, of course. Mm -hmm. But that there's a particular gift and a particular grace of hearing this authoritative proclamation of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I think practically it's just a huge help in, for me personally, when I make confession, that I'm able to name my sins much more specifically. Yeah. When I have to say them out loud and this doesn't happen every time, but about 50% of the time. At some point, there will be something where I realize, oh, I don't want to say this out loud in front of this other human being who I can see. Yeah. This is the thing that I need to say out loud in front of this other human being who I can see. I need to break through this and get freed from this. And yeah. it, it can be really liberating to name your sins and not receive condemnation, but receive forgiveness. Yeah, And to hear that word not... So it doesn't depend on how I feel about it. Do I feel forgiven? Do I feel like God yeah, still loves right. me? Do it, it's not well, subjective. This word has been spoken over me. Yeah. I didn't do that. That's not something that happened in my own mind or in my own emotions. It happened in the world. Yeah. Right? And so both in getting practical guidance and help in making a good confession, but also in the kind of subjective help for those of us who struggle with ongoing sense of condemnation and shame to be mm -hmm. able to receive God's forgiveness. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great grace. Yeah. And so in the Anglican tradition, no one is required to make confession with a priest, but we certainly encourage it. And yeah. it's one of my favorite ministries yeah. to do. And I've been really cheered and encouraged that so many people here at Christ church take advantage of it. Yeah. That's great. That's a, um, you know, it's, I'm totally okay with this being one question, 10 minutes because, <laughs> <laughs> because, um, uh, my own experience has been the same, that it's been a gift of healing, of freedom. And, and the Brazos fellows, of course, in their rule of life, the sort of practices they agree to take on spiritual direction and then are encouraged to, to seek confession. And I often right. find that people who've never experienced confession before find in it um, grace and, and, and strength that they didn't know was available mm -hmm. for them. Um, so we could we could go on. That's just good stuff. But let's move on. I think the other questions will be easier, quicker, let's hope. less important, no Probably matter how good they are. Um, okay, question two. William Gladstone, great 19th century statesman, had four doctors. He said, I've got the four guys who shaped my life. Um, his were Aristotle, Augustine, Aquine, I'm sorry, Dante, and Joseph Butler, which is kind of a funny 19th century great. British um Oddball. Good times. Um, so who are your four doctors? I knew some version of this question was coming, and <laughs> I'm not sure I have a list of four. That's okay. It I, can be in progress. I, I confidently don't have a clear list of four. 
in so many ways, the, the top two formative influences are really the Bible and the prayer book mm. in a kind of ongoing way that I, mm-hmm. I expect will be the two texts that shape me the most over the course of my life, I hope, um, in that order. So I, I don't know if those count. Um, I mean, maybe I should have asked you the, you know, who are your four books, knowing you. Yeah, that's, it's it's tough. But I, I can think of several key authors. You mentioned that here in a few minutes, I'm going to be leading the discussion on the Desert Fathers. And I think that desert monastic tradition, one way or another, has to be one of the entries on yeah, this list. Right. I wrote my master's thesis on Evagrius of Pontus, who's one of the early and prolific writers who helps distill that tradition. So we might name him if we need a name. Yeah. But but really, it's the the sayings of the Desert Fathers. Is, mm-hmm. um, such a such a potent work, I think, in informing my own work as a spiritual director and confessor, um, mm. but also my own sense of the spiritual life and the Christian spiritual tradition. Mm-hmm. A lot of the other texts are probably ones that really shaped me from childhood or authors who've really shaped me from my teen years on Mm. c.s lewis has got to be on the list mostly his fiction yeah uh the the narnia books and and to some extent the space trilogy are the ones that i've gone back to the most and they've probably gotten most deeply into me Mm -hmm. Um, other connected authors who i sort of caught on to over the those childhood years george mcdonald charles williams Mm -hmm. To a lesser extent, Chesterton, I think, have, have really been influences. If I had to pick a modern theologian, possibly Alexander Schmemann mm, mm. would be a top mm-hmm. pick. Um, and I, I haven't gotten as deeply into him as I'd like, but, but maybe aspirationally Thomas Aquinas can go on this list. Mm, yeah. I, I feel like his his theology is pretty important as to, to kind of get the Middle Ages in there. Yeah, they've got, great. They've got to be in there somewhere. Okay, I like it. Well, it's it's a work in progress, but it sounds mm-hmm. like you got a list for me. Maybe maybe it should be a book list for you. I think that's good. Okay, what's the work? Could be anything: literature, theology, art, music, that you find yourself returning to, that you just keep coming back to over your life. Mm-hmm. Well, I've mentioned a couple of them already, yeah. but I think if if I have to pick one, you probably saw this coming because we've been friends for a while, <laughs> but probably The Wind in the Willows yeah. by Kenneth Graham. It's, I, I have at home the copy that I was given for my ninth birthday yeah. with my, in my mom's handwriting, the date of my ninth birthday on the cover page. And I've read this book maybe 20 times yeah. I've taught honors colloquially on it at Baylor a couple times I wrote a seminar paper on it once and the as I keep coming back to it reading it out loud reading it to myself it, there's just so much there uh, and it's such a beautiful work and yeah yeah oh, although I, I should say that in, in the last decade I think the book I've read the largest number of times is actually Pride and Prejudice oh interesting so. interesting well <laughs> The Wind in the Willows has come up before on this podcast. I want to say Tom oh, Ward mm. gave it a shout out as one of his all time. So we need to, nice something man. needs to happen. 
I, I don't know what, but a, a clearly thing. Tom Ward and I need to get a beer and talk about yeah, that's right. the Wind of the Willows. Maybe we can turn on the recorder while you do. All right, moving along. Question four. It's 2020. What, whenever COVID is done, however you define that, whenever <laughs> normal, in air quotes, oh you know, happens, what's the first thing you want to do? Probably hug everyone I know. <laughs> yes. That sounds right. That's right. Uh, I think I asked my students if they learned a similar question, and hugging was on the on the list, and hugging tended to win out. Yeah. You know, some yep. some people voted for like seeing a movie over hugging, which I don't what? understand. What? Yeah. No, they're wrong. I don't understand that at all. Yeah. Okay. Last question. What's uh, What's next on your reading list? What's the book sort of on the shelf or on the book stand that you're excited to um, get to next? So. I'm going to out myself as someone who doesn't have a coherent reading list. Okay, practice. sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I think unknowingly and then eventually knowingly when I found out about it, I fairly closely followed Alan Jacobs' mm. dictum, read at whim. Yes. So it tends to be, what am I in the mood for at the time? Yeah. I, I have a stack of books out from the library, some of which I will probably read, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure which ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have various books forthcoming, but yeah, I'm, I don't know. Okay. I really don't know. Is there one, maybe rephrase it, is there one where if, you know, your class got canceled tomorrow or something, you'd be like, oh, this is the one you probably pick up. Or maybe mm. you don't know that until tomorrow. Maybe that's what you're saying. It, it could depend. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would keep going in one of the books I'm currently in the middle gotcha. of, of which yeah, there yeah, are yeah. several. Okay. Great. Well, that's fine. We can leave that there. Well, thank you, Father Jonathan. Um, thanks again for being in class this morning. Excited to talk about the desert monastic tradition. Thanks for being on the podcast. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for listening. Stay tuned. We'll have more episodes of five questions in 10 minutes coming your way uh, in good time.